So I find there are three different groups of people when it comes to Christmas. Some are so excited that Christmas is finally here, they just can't even stand it. Other people are just have mixed emotions, they're excited, but at the same time they feel a bit stressed out by it all. And then there's another camp of people that is just dreading this season. So I'm just curious, by a show of hands, are you so excited Christmas is here, like the elf when he saw Santa, right? So we got, we got some. So how many have mixed emotions about it all? How many of you, because of just a variety of factors, just are stressed out that this is the season we're in? We got a few. We got a few. I like the honest transparency of, of the people in that group. Yeah, so we, we do fall in different camps. How many of you want Black Friday shopping, not online, but actually went to the stores Thursday night to do shopping? How many? A few. How many went to the stores on Friday? There's a few crazy people in the Hewitt Jerkovich clan that did both, they said. <laughs> now that, I love Christmas, but there's nothing about that that sounds appealing to me. I would rather spend $200 more for that TV than I have to stand in an hour line to get it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think this was Kevin's first year doing it. He was shaking in lines. If you know Kevin, he's not the most patient person. He likes to be active. He likes to be doing and going. Oh, to be with you. That's how much you love your family right there, Kevin. Yeah. Well, hey, I believe, especially if you fall in that last camp where Christmas is just a stressful thing, I think that us focusing on the true reason for the season can really help cut through that stress that comes along with the season. And I think it can infuse joy in us, uh, a joy that can't be found, of course, anywhere else. And so one of the things I really appreciate about what we do here at the church is we make Jesus, the, his amazing, miraculous birth, we make that the focus this time of the year. And so as you go out between Sundays, of course, there's all these other things that need to be done, and there are different messages that are being communicated to you from a variety of sources. But the message you will get here is that Jesus' birth is a miracle, and it has great implications for our lives today and forever. And so we need to be reoriented to that truth. This is the only place we're going to get that, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to start a sermon series with this title, Here Comes Heaven, Our Promised Messiah. And we're going to do something that's a little bit different, uh, this for us anyways. Instead of looking at the Christmas story solely through the Christmas accounts in the Gospels, we're also going to look through or look at the, the Christmas story through the eyes of the Old Testament prophets. And so I'm excited to do this. Uh, <laughs> what we'll find is that Jesus fulfilled 
a whole bunch of prophecies that were given about this promised Messiah that was to come, that were given hundreds of years earlier. It is just astounding. He filled them to a T. And here's the crazy thing. Show the, show the slide here. Here's your odds of winning the lottery. One in 259 million. That's your odds of winning the lottery. Look, there are over 300 prophecies regarding the Messiah in the Old Testament. There are 48 major prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Again, hundreds of years before the New Testament was written. The chance that Jesus filled just eight of these prophecies, or any man would, would fill just eight of these prophecies, is one in 100 quadrillion. Just eight of the prophecies. Jesus perfectly fulfilled all 48 major prophecies in the over 300 that are found in the Old Testament. Uh, Peter Stoner, he's the one who did these calculations in his book called Science Speaks. Um, and he said for us to really grab a hold of the staggering odds of this probability that Jesus would be able to fill just eight of the 300 prophecies. He says, imagine the state of Texas, right? And he says, imagine 100 quadrillion silver dollars placed all over the state of Texas, which would be enough to cover the whole state two feet deep. And he says, all right, now put your name on one of those silver dollars, and then mix all 100 quadrillion up, then put a blindfold on some random person and tell him to go find that coin. And he's able to go all over Texas to find it. That's the chances that Jesus would, <laughs> that, that's the probability we're talking about. The same probability of him finding that the silver coin is the same probability of any one man fulfilling just eight of these prophecies. It's remarkable. And so I say that because as we mentioned in adult Sunday school, we're not here to celebrate some mythical story, right? We're here to celebrate the real, true, miraculous birth of Jesus. Um, let's pray. And we're going to start our journey by looking at Matthew 1. Because there's this amazing prophecy contained in that chapter that we're going to look at. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you are Emmanuel. That you are with us. Lord, that you have come to save us. And that you love us with such a great love that you are willing to go to such great lengths to provide for our rescue. And Lord, we understand that part of that is your birth. And that you were born to eventually go to a cross. So that you could absorb all the punishment, all the repercussions that our sin deserved. So that we could be acquitted. So that our slate could be wiped clean. You are a mighty Savior. 
we love you. Lord, I pray that this church, these people sitting here this morning, through our time focusing on the wonderful incarnation of your son, would be so drawn to you that we are compelled to live lives of all-out surrender and abandon to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Matthew 1, 18 through 25. I'm going to read it again. The same passage, passage that Brett read. Uh, I encourage you, as I always encourage you, or most often encourage you, to let these words soak in, right? Especially a passage that we're familiar with. Familiarity can sometimes breed unfamiliarity, where you get so used to a passage that you start, you stop engaging with it, really putting yourself in it, stop really thinking about it, and then before you know it, it, it the, the significance of it can just kind of elude you. So let's focus. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son... Oh, my, I just hit a button. <laughs> How did I do that? It's pretty amazing. Odessa. It's a joke from adult Sunday school this morning. She will bring forth a son. Where is that at? Oh, my goodness. Oh, there it goes. I found it. And she will bring forth the son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So, think about this. Think about what it would have been like for Joseph. I mean, Joseph was a real person. He was a real person just like you and I. Chances are that that day that he learned about Mary's pregnancy, he had, you know, gotten up from his... Night of rest, just like any other day, probably went through his morning routine. He probably maybe was even going off to a day of work as a carpenter. Perhaps as he, he worked, he thought about Mary. He thought about their engagement. He thought about their life together. He thought about maybe the house he was building for them to live in. We don't know for sure, but chances are it was just a normal day until it wasn't, right? And so you can just imagine 
the shock Joseph must have experienced when he found out Mary was pregnant, especially since he knew he had not slept with her. You can just imagine the disorientation. You can just imagine where his mind must have went. I mean, surely, just like any one of us, his mind would have went to Mary must have been unfaithful. Who's this guy? I thought she's not who I thought she was. She's been running around on me. You can imagine the anger. You can imagine the hurt. Joseph was a good man. It says in the, in the passage that he was a just man, which means if you look at the, the Greek word behind that, he was a guy who pursued Jesus in Uh, pursued Jesus in such a way that he really desired to live out what, or he pursued God, not, not Jesus at this point, but he pursued God in such a way that he really wanted to live out, you know, what, what God taught. And so the law said that Joseph could have Mary stoned to death, but Mary, uh, obviously, well, Joseph, He was this just man, and so he decides, all right, I'm not going to kill Mary. I'm not going to, you know, kill the baby inside of her. I will just divorce her secretly. And then if things couldn't even get more bizarre, Joseph goes into this trance, and he has this dream. And in this dream, the Lord, this angel of the Lord appeared to him and informed him that that Mary, this this baby inside of her was actually is actually from the spirit of God, that this was actually God's son, and he is going to name this boy Jesus, which the Jesus means to deliver to rescue. He also learned that this Jesus would save his people from their sins. Can you imagine just those events and just how weird and strange that would have been for Joseph? And here's the thing. Joseph was thrusted in to a pivotal circumstance, right? It was pivotal because Joseph had a choice, and he could pivot in one of two directions. He could pivot in the direction of trusting God or he could pivot in the direction of trusting his plan, which was to divorce, divorce Mary secretly. And so here he is in this pivotal circumstance, a, a circumstance that, based on his decision, will affect him for years to come, will affect his family for years to come, will affect his nation for years to come, will affect the world as a whole for years to come. And can't you see that in this pivotal circumstance that Joseph finds himself in, what God is saying to Joseph is this, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And just as soon as Matthew reports Joseph kind of hanging in the balance, thrusted into this pivotal circumstance with a decision to have to make, Matthew interjects this prophecy from Isaiah. Check it out. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, 
And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, I think Matthew interjects this quote from Isaiah for two reasons. One is surely he wants his readers and he wants us today to see that Jesus is the one who fills this prophecy. That he is the promised Messiah that would be born of a virgin. But I think the, the, I think the second reason, and I could be wrong on this, but I think the second reason Matthew interjects this prophecy right when Joseph is hanging in the balance in the middle of this pivotal circumstance where he has to make a decision is because this prophecy in Isaiah was given smack dab in the middle of another man's pivotal circumstance. And his name was Ahaz. And so let me just tell you a little bit about Ahaz's story and the pivotal circumstance that he found himself in. Uh, this week, if you want to read about it, you can find it in Isaiah chapter 7. So Ahaz was the king of Judah back in the 700s B.C. And he and his kingdom, Judah, was being threatened by two northern kingdoms that were threatening to come and just destroy his nation, right? Isaiah 7, 2 tells us that the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. They, I mean, they were shaking in their boots is what Isaiah 7, 2 is telling us. And so what does Ahaz immediately start doing? He starts working on the water supply that flows into the city of Jerusalem. And he starts working to secure it because here, this water supply that, flo that flowed into the city was above ground. And a big portion of it was outside the city walls. So guess what an enemy would do when they came to attack Jerusalem? They would tamper with the water supply. And that would be to King Ahaz and his people's demise. And so he goes. He starts working, right? So he's going to secure it. He's going to take control. And it's when he is working on the water supply that the prophet Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and he tells him this, to be careful, to be quiet, to not fear, to not let his heart be faint. In other words, Ahaz, work hard to do nothing. God has got you. He is going to take care of this threat. Do nothing. Soon, in just a short time, God will stamp out the threat and it will be no more. And then Ahaz was told by Isaiah this, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. God was saying to, Isaiah, or to Ahaz, through the prophet Isaiah, will you trust me? Right? And do you see what God is doing this morning? Through these accounts, through the account thousands of years ago, recorded in the book of Isaiah, and through Matthew, 
See what he's saying to you this morning? Will you trust me? And I suspect that there are people here this morning that are in a pivotal circumstance. I think that's why God led me to these passages in this discovery. Difficulty has come into your life. Some major trial has come into your life. And you are at a crossroads. And you have a choice to make. You can either surrender to God by seeking to pursue what he wants in your circumstances and by intentionally obeying all that he reveals. Or you can choose to leave God out of the equation by trusting your own plan. You have a decision to make. I I suspect that some of you have already responded the way that Ahaz responded. You've responded to this pivotal circumstance by trying to control it, going hard to work at it. Like, I got to fix this. I got to make it happen. I got to ensure that what I fear does not happen. And you're wearing yourself out, and you're exhausted. And it's not getting better. Every two steps you take forward, it seems like you take about ten backwards. You can't make the problem go away. You can't keep people happy. You can't control it. You can't make it all okay. And you're driven by fear. You're afraid. In your mind, the stakes are too high. How can I not work feverishly? If I let go, what will happen then? I can't risk it. So you continue and you continue and you continue. God, through Isaiah, was telling Ahaz, And through the angel, he was telling Joseph. And through me, he's telling you. Will you trust me this morning? Do you see that the straightest path to victory is surrender? The straightest path to victory is surrender. The only way you're going to be able to stand firm on both of your feet is if you fall on your face at the feet of Jesus. It's coming to him and saying, I give up. I can't fix it. I have tried everything I know, and it is not working. I have exhausted all my resources. Jesus, if I am going to get through this trial... You're going to have to get me through this trial. You're going to have to fix it. This is your problem to solve. I cannot make it happen. Here's what you got to put your energy into. And this was the thing that Joseph and Ahaz had to put all their energy into. If you are in a pivotal circumstance, you must put all of your energy into this. 
pursuing the face of Jesus Christ. That's it. And you have to be committed to obeying whatever he reveals to you. That's it. That's all you focus on. I don't know what pivotal circumstance you are in this morning. I suspect that there are some people in this room that have not truly surrendered their life to Christ. That you have not fallen at the feet of Jesus and have said, from this point forward, my life is going to be consumed by seeking the face of Jesus and obeying whatever you have to me. You have a decision to make. By this very message, you have been thrusted into a pivotal circumstance. It will affect you for the rest of your life what you do with that decision. It will affect those around you. It will affect generations to come. You have a choice to make. God is saying, will you trust me with your life? For some of you, the pivotal circumstance that you're dealing with is some secret sin. It's rampant. You tried to control it on your own, and it's not working. And God is revealing to you this morning that you have a choice. Either you will trust God with your sin issue by reaching out to his people for help, or you're going to continue to keep that sin a secret. And the reason why you're even hesitating is because you're afraid of what you might lose if you bring it into the light. Don't you see you have nothing to lose? You have everything to gain. Don't let the enemy tell you that you have everything to lose. Some of you are here today in your pivotal circumstances. You're in a relationship that is broken. And you have a choice to make. Will you choose to suppress the problem? Will you choose to strive to fix the problem? Will you choose to shift the blame to the person, to your spouse or whoever this is that you are having a relational issue with? Or will you throw your feet, throw your face at the feet of Jesus and say, I surrender, teach me, show me, I will follow. God is asking you, will you trust me? Perhaps for some of you, the pivotal circumstance you're in is that God has brought you to this realization that you have no margin in your life. You overspend, you overcommit, you overwork, you overeat. Your RPMs are always living and operating in the red zone. And it's all driven by insecurities and fear of missing out or your family or your kids missing out. And there are warning signs that you're ignoring. You don't sleep well. You don't eat well. You constantly feel stressed. You're constantly snapping at your family. You're starting to have tension headaches. You're starting to have pains in your chest. And guess what? You have a choice to make. This is a pivotal circumstance. Continue operating with no margin in your life. Or seek God's kingdom first. God is saying, will you trust me?
For some of you, maybe the pivotal circumstance you're in is that, you know, God seems to be revealing that you need to switch careers. But there are so many uncertainties. There are so many what-ifs. You have a choice to make. God is saying, will you trust me? You see, throughout the Bible, this is the question that is repeatedly asked through the stories, through the pages. It's God asking, will you trust me? And I would like to tell you that both Ahaz and Joseph trusted God. But only one of them did. Ahaz, instead of seeking salvation in God, instead of seeking help in God, in security in God, he sought the help of the Assyrians. And guess what? It was short-term gain for long-term pain because he did get help. The Syrians did take care of the threat from the north. But guess who the Syrians set their eyes on next? Judah, Ahaz nation. Short-term gain, long-term pain. You see, any, and there's a lesson here, the world has so many false saviors. There's only one true savior. You see, anything we look to God to rescue us, to provide salvation for us, to provide the security that we're looking for, it will ultimately fail us. It will ultimately bring pain and sorrow and bondage into our lives. At best, it will be short-term gain for long-term pain. And you know what? In the meantime, we're going to be tossed around by the circumstantial winds of life. I've said it many times, but it's worth repeating. If we look to career to provide us with the satisfaction, significance, and security that our heart yearns for, we're going to be constantly nagged by worry. What if I lose my job? What if I fail to find favor in the eyes of my employer? What if this young buck over here ends up getting, you know, doing really well? And what about my position? And there's always going to be worry because that foundation is so shaky. It's sand. If, if your savior is, is money and you're looking to money to provide you with the security that you need, what about you're going to fear the next economic downturn. You're going to fear what the stock market is going to do. There's always going to be this instability. It's a foundation of sand. And we could go down the list of false saviors, but our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. He is the only secure, sure, unmovable, unshakable, unflappable foundation that we can build our life on. He is the only foundation that will lead to short-term gain and long-term gain. There's another warning in King Ahaz's story. The, di- the habit of disbelief is easy to make and hard to break. Ahaz had this problem of responding to God's invitation over a lifetime, you know, the the invitation to trust God. He responded to it repeatedly with the negative. And guess what? When Isaiah came to him and said, hey, you have nothing to fear. God will protect you. Put your hope in him. Guess what? Isaiah or uh, Ahaz was just incapable of putting his trust in God. 
You see, if we ignore God's call on our life and we repeatedly do that, we become less and less sensitive to his voice over time. We become like that blacksmith's dog who at first was terrified by the sounds of the hammer and the flying of the sparks, but yet over time was able to sleep undisturbed at the feet of the blacksmith despite the hammer and the sparks. And so I'm telling you this morning, if you ignore God's invitation to trust him in your pivotal circumstance now, don't think that, well, in the future, you're just going to be able to trust him. You run the risk of your heart becoming harder and harder and your soul becoming less and less sensitive to his voice. By the way, delayed obedience is disobedience. By the way, delayed trust is mistrust. God is asking, will you trust me now? Not tomorrow. Not Monday like your diet, right? Always starts on Monday. Right? Now, will you seek me and my kingdom first now? And so the question is, will you be a Joseph or will you be an Ahaz? We read that Joseph responded to his pivotal circumstance with faith. Check this out, verses 24 and 25. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. What enabled Joseph to respond to God's invitation, will you trust me with, yes, I will? What enabled him to do that? Well, I want to draw your attention to two things. Matthew tells us again that Joseph was a just man. So this means that Joseph had the habit of hearing and listening to God's voice and then obeying it. And so he was sensitive to what God wanted to speak to him through the angel of the Lord. He was open to it. He could hear it. He could receive it. He could act on it. But let me draw your attention to another thing that I believe allowed Joseph to respond in faithful obedience to God's call. The habit of faith develops from an understanding of God's character and choosing to believe his promises. So the angel's statement, just the angel's statement alone, had enough in it for Joseph to be able to trust God's invitation and, 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 and receive it. Matthew 1, 20 and 21 says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and he will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So in one statement alone, Joseph had what he needed to say yes to God's call. Because this statement gave him a, a fresh realization of God's sovereignty and God's love. In terms of his sovereignty, God promised a Savior long ago. Joseph and his people had been yearning for the arrival of the Savior for hundreds of years, and right before Joseph's eyes, it was happening, and he was going to be a part of it. Oh, the sovereignty of God to, that Joseph was witnessing. 
This had to just catapult Joseph's view of God's sovereignty to, to new heights. But then there is this aspect of God's love in what the angel told Joseph. This Savior was coming to die for his people's sins. What love. This Savior was coming to, to serve and not be served. This, this Savior was coming to bring rescue to Joseph and his people's greatest problem, and that was their sin issue. Surely Joseph could trust this immensely sovereign, this immensely loving God. And as the Savior's name indicates, Emmanuel, God would be with Joseph. Right there, we have enough of God's character. We have enough of his promises. You have enough of his promises to trust him in your pivotal circumstance. Joseph's life wasn't about to get any easier, by the way. He would have to, with his family, flee because King Herod was trying to kill his son. But he had his promises. He had God's promises. He had God's uh, character. And so, this all points to another person that had a series of pivotal circumstances in his life. Because I was Jesus. Life is made up of several pivotal circumstances. That person was Jesus. In his life, Jesus was thrusted into pivotal circumstances. And with every single one of them, he responded with, Father, I trust you. Check this out. What a pivotal circumstance it was when God the Father and the Spirit and Jesus were together before the foundations of the world. And they agreed. And God the Father said to Jesus, we agree, Jesus, one day you will have to become an embryo inside of a nervous teenager from the middle of nowhere. Will you do it? Yes, I will. We agree, Jesus, that you must spend 40 days in the wilderness without anything to eat or drink and be tempted directly by Satan. And he will tempt you and tempt you to stop trusting me. Will you do it? Yes, I will. And we agree, Jesus, that you're going to have to live a perfect life and you're going to have to be rejected by your earthly family. And you're constantly going to be traveling from place to place, you're going to be incessantly serving people. And then you're going to be rejected by your own people. Will you do it? Yes, I will. Sign me up. We agree, Jesus, that after that, you're going to have to be treated as the worst of criminals. You're going to be tortured. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be spit upon. You're going to be deserted by just about all of your closest friends. And then you are going to experience the most horrific of all ways to die. You are going to be crucified. Oh, and that's not it. When you hang on that cross, I am going to remove, and the Spirit's going to remove, we are going to remove our presence completely from you so that you will experience utter isolation, loneliness, and despair. All. To save the people that we love. Will you do it? Yes, I will. Oh, and Jesus, right before you're about to be nailed to that cross, you're going to be in a garden. 
and your friends are going to be sleeping, and you are going to start to experience the horrors of, about, of, of what you're about to do, that it will cause you to sweat blood, will you do it? Yes, I will. In all of these pivotal circumstances, Jesus trusted the Father. He said, your will, Father, not my will be done. Look, we live on the other side of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so we have even more reason to trust Jesus. We do. Ahaz didn't have the benefit of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to root his, himself in. Look. On the surface, all-out surrender to God, it just seems crazy and foolish on the surface. You know, Ahaz has these armies, this army bearing down on him. It just makes sense, right? Logically, I need to go to work. I need to fix it. I need to try and control it. Joseph, it just made sense to divorce Mary secretly instead of live with the this people making fun of him and the, the people thinking, you know, hey, your, your wife ran around. I mean, logically, but that's on the surface. There is nothing more foolish than disbelief. No matter how outlandish God's call on your life is. You see, until we believe in our heart of hearts that the cost of not following Jesus is greater than the cost of following Jesus, we will struggle to obey. I'm here to tell you this morning the cost of not all out Surrender to Jesus is way more costly than the cost of following Jesus wholeheartedly. Christmas tells us that Jesus gave his all for you. Will you give your all for him this Christmas? That's the gift that he wants. That's what he wants. When you read the Old Testament prophets, he doesn't care so much about their offerings. Because it's all with the wrong heart. It's not from a heart of all-out surrender. That's the gift he wants this Christmas. Pray with me. And by the way, I'm going to send you this as an email. But I was given this by a guy who I met with two weeks ago. And it's all about God's promises, your identity in Christ. So that you can start, stand firm in faith. And here's what I challenge you to do. I challenge you to read this each morning of this week until next Sunday to start your day. And I'm going to be preaching in Micah 5 next Sunday. I encourage you to read the book of Micah. And I encourage you also, get the ESV study Bible, buy it. The commentary is great. It will help you understand, Micah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are trustworthy and that you demonstrated that time and time again. Lord, I pray that we could live lives trusting you fully, completely, that you would give us a giant-sized faith, a faith that can move mountains, I, oh, I just think of it, if, if we were so full of faith, what our lives would be like. We wouldn't worry. We wouldn't concern. 
We wouldn't fret about tomorrow. We wouldn't concern ourselves with non-essential matters. We would be so focused on your kingdom and seeking that first. Lord, give each person here today that faith. And I pray that if there is somebody in a pivotal circumstance and they just need to come and surrender themselves to you, I invite them to the altar. As we sing this last song, I would love to pray with them. I would love to encourage them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.